Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. We are talking about college on this episode. It is back to school right now. A lot of people are going uh, to college last week, this week. Um, You know, it's a big milestone for parents and kids. And so I'm excited. We've not had this topic actually on the podcast before. So I'm excited to uh, break that open with my guest, uh, Brad Baldridge. And uh, he's one of the nation's leading college financial experts. And he teaches families the best way to plan, save and pay for college so they can make their children's college dreams come true without wiping out their finances or their retirement. And for over 20 years, Brad has shared his expertise and insights through his private practice as a blogger and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast and as a presenter of numerous workshops and seminars. Um, I'm going to bring Brad on. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about all things college. I know it's a very big topic, so we'll see where it goes. Um, but before we do, I'm going to dive in with my icebreaker, which is what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Well, by far and away, it would be the chocolate chip cookie and I guess more specifically, the Toll House recipe as officially <laughs> out there. And then I guess a close second would be the Toll House that you buy in the store. But I love chocolate chip cookies. They need to be crispy. Cool. And again, I can eat a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Fat in a glass of milk and I'm happy. Awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic. Can't go wrong with that, right? Yes. So um, college, it's a, it's, a, it's it's going on right now at the time of this recording, we are in the fall. Um, and I went to college. I went to a private school out in Florida and I'm from Texas. So I decided to go out of state. I tried to pursue a soccer career, all the things. There's lots of factors, lots and lots of bills. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not personally equipped with the knowledge of what to do going into college, how to pay for it, what everything was. And I learned afterwards when I have all this money do what things were allocated for, what it was for, what these, what these names are. So I think it is important to learn about it early. And so I've got little kids. I don't haven't been on that side of things where I'm planning it for them. I just want to make sure that I'm not catching them off guard too, when they get there, because I had no clue what to do, what FAFSA was, all the things. So for those parents and listeners, let's start there with the little ones that are just thinking about even what to do or how to start. Where would you recommend or what are you seeing now with who you work with now? Right. Yeah. So we've all heard the rumors that college is expensive and they're not exactly rumors. I mean, that's the fact. College is getting more and more expensive. Luckily, it's not growing as fast as it once did um, with COVID and that type of thing. The, the net price of college has been going up much more slowly than what it used to be. Um, but for 
the last 15, 20 years prior to that, college got very expensive very quickly. I was looking at an uh, old ACT paperwork that I did when I was in college, and this will date me in that, um, you know, we did it all. There was no online anything at the time. So I had that old report and the fees, the, the tuition at the college that I ultimately attended was $1,200 for the year. Wow. I mean, you barely get a class for that now. Today, the average state school is about 27000 all in, and the average private school is about 57000 all in. And again, that's tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza, the whole cost for a typical student. Now, that's what they published, and that's the published price. And in a lot of state colleges, you may pay close to the published price because that's kind of the way they operate. But many of the private schools will give you some form of discount off of that, some form of scholarship and that type of thing. Yeah. So the point being, college can be expensive. And for a lot of families, if you think, well, you know, I have a lot of parents that maybe they can agree, maybe they can't agree, but they're thinking that they want to substantially pay for college. They don't want to have their children you know, graduate with a bunch of debt. And if those, that's what you're talking about now with your two-year-old or four-year-old, you know, just be aware that it's now a major line item in your family budget, whether you realize it or not. And I think exactly. that's right. And that's what I see happening with a lot of families. And it doesn't matter how much you earn per se, when it comes to college, it really matters how important it is and whether you prioritize it. And to give you an example, you know, I'll have a parent of a 17 year old saying, you know, wow, college is really expensive. We didn't do hardly anything at all up until this point. I, there's no way, you know, this, this is crazy. It's, we just can't afford it. And we look at them and maybe they earn a hundred thousand dollars. I'll have a family that earns 200,000 say the exact same thing of, and of course the person that earns a hundred thousand will say, well, if they earn 200,000, they have a hundred thousand dollars a year, more than me to pay for college. How could they not afford college. And the reality is it doesn't matter what you earn because most of us learn how to spend what we earn before we learn how to save it. And at most incomes, and again, if you're a brain surgeon, make it 3 million a year that, you know, maybe there's the exception, but for the yeah. typical <laughs> middle income professionals and that type of thing, you need to figure out how to, you know, bake that into the cake early on and it'll make your life a lot easier. So if you're deciding that you're going to spend lots of money on college and be very generous with two or three kids, you need to keep that in mind when you, you know, shop for a house or how expensive the cars you drive and whether or not you're going to send the kids to um, expensive schools like, uh, you know, private high schools and that type of thing, because all of those that, you know, factor into the equation when you're trying to figure out the math. Um, yeah. My kids just went to private elementary and they're now back in public. And it's, I mean, it's more expensive doesn't always mean better, but I mean, it's the bill, it's expensive. It's just, mm -hmm. but then again, I didn't have to buy clothes because they were in uniforms. So you, you know, move your money around to where you, where you see fit. But for me, um, for my private school college, I mean, the debt's insane because of just how much it was. And I went four full years and then you have all the expenses that go with it. And um, 
I think my parents like took like life insurance policies out or something to make sure that we could, you know, afford it or whatever. I have no idea how they're paying for it. But with my kids, it's kind of weird because the way that things are going now, I've seen a lot of people go to like get their associates or do online college first and then move into a four year program or a, a college, like a traditional. Um, I think there's pros and cons of both now being a degreed person. Um, I had the college experience. I was away from home, got, I gained a lot of life experience while going to school. I was very disciplined in school anyway. Um, but I, you know, on the other side of things, when people go to college, they don't, they party and they don't go. And it's like, you know, if you're not paying for it, the kids are paying for it. So I guess for me, it's what's the, the, demographics now or the um the stats there who's deciding to go to these four-year colleges versus just doing it online and getting a degree because I feel like the way of the world is all virtual now and no one really cares about your degree unless you're going to like lawyer doctor you know very specialized I feel like right. not many people give a crap where you go to school <laughs> right exactly and the the whole philosophical side of education is interesting in many different aspects right most of us, when we go seek out a professional, we don't say things like, oh, well, I'm sorry, you 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 know, you can't solve my physical therapy problem because you went to the wrong school. You know, if you would have gone to this other school, I'd be happy to work with you. But because you went to that physical therapy school, well, I'm not interested in working with you. Most of us don't even care. I mean, we don't even know where, again, you get a good recommendation from someone that says that this is a good person, you go right? You look them up on Facebook or whatever, right? So the reality is most of the time, it doesn't matter. It might matter in the first job often where it's like, well, you go to a, a reasonably strong school, but the reality of it is most of the time you can get wherever you want to go, wherever you go to college. Now, all things being equal, again, there is a lot of competition to get into those name brand schools. Mm -hmm. So that's one area that, right, that we talk about. Then there's also this direct correlation of you have to have a degree for this profession and you might have to be very specific. Right? If you want to be a nurse, you need to go get a nursing degree. If you want to be a teacher, you're going to go get an elementary ed degree. And if you go get those degrees, you're likely to have those professions. You know, there's a very direct correlation where the training that you get in school helps you do the job. Now, if you want to be a sales coach, what degree do you need for that? Or if you want to sell MRI machines, what degree requires that? And if you have a history degree, what job will you ultimately get? I mean, obviously there's history teacher and history professor. After that, there's a lot of, you know, author perhaps. I mean, there's lots of ways that you can, you know, work through that. But again, philosophically, there's a kind of a disconnect there. Yeah. Um from a, well, if I could go past the bar exam without ever going to college, but I just studied on my own and learned all the stuff that lawyers know and go past the bar, can I be a lawyer? Um, most of the time, the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. But so there's these different philosophies around education. We want to make sure that people are well taken care of and we don't want people claiming to be a doctor, a medical doctor when they're not and all that kind of stuff. And so finding that balance is a, is a bit of a challenge, but most of the time when we're looking for employees as, you know, as bosses, it's like, well, who can get this job done and who can do it well? 
at a price range that you know makes sense for our business. And that's kind of where you start, right? Is when you're looking for an employee. It used to be they required education, you know, college education, often for many positions, but with the shortage right now, they're starting to realize that, well, the degree is not really that necessary. If we can find right. someone that's capable and competent, we don't care if they have a degree. They could have certificates or other ways to learn. And that change in education is very, is happening a lot, especially in adult education where adult learners that are going back to school, if they've got kids or careers or other competing priorities, you know, they don't really care where, what the football stadium looks like. And they don't care about the fancy dorms. They just want to learn what they need to learn in an efficient way, whether it's nights or weekends, or maybe it is a sabbatical where they want to do it full time. But so there's all different options for that. Um, on the other side of that coin is if you got your typical student rolling out of high school and going off to college, Sounds like what that's what you and I did. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I loved it and I really want that for my kids. Yeah, I right? think that's a, that's a thing, right? It's it's what they desire. Do they need to have the the college experience? Do they like, is that important in the to the child or to the parent? Making right. sure also as a parent, like you don't want to like project <laughs> your your things on your kids, but you know your experience. I know my experience. You want them to maybe hopefully experience something similar, not the other side of things like, you know, passed out in the corner and stuff like that when you're drinking, because it's a lot of responsibility, but it depends on what, like, for instance, um, there's someone I know that's going to trade school for a year. He wants, because it's really important to him just to get it, get his trade. So he can jump right into the workforce and start making money. The four-year degree wasn't really his thing. And he, he's got friends and he's like, I'm going to go and visit them anyway. So mm -hmm. it's, saves money, time, and he wants to go right into his uh, career while the, his friends are going to wait four years and do more school and, you know, maybe party, right. maybe do frats, maybe do football, whatever it is. So it's, a, you have to put those in the factors. Me as my, a parent of a nine, six and eight year old, I have no idea what their aspirations will be. So it's like, I don't know if you're going to, I have no clue. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, right. Then that question comes up is, well, if, you know, they want to get, a, you know, get a four-year degree or even go on and get, you know, a physical therapy or MD or law or whatever, right? There's all kinds of paths they could take. How prepared do you want to be to be able to pay for it for them? And that's a big challenge for a lot of families as far as, well, how much should we save and and how does that work? Um, and I think the other, that's the other side of it too, is you're kind of driving at, you know, college isn't for everybody. There's, a certain population where college is a great path, right? They want to go on and get their PhD in physics and study the stars. And they've always wanted to do that from the time they were little. Okay. That's right. That path is pretty clear, but the undecided student that, you know, doesn't really know what they want to be when they grow up and maybe they're not that good academically to begin with, and they don't really enjoy school, you know, to say that they need a four-year degree, I think is kind of maybe pushing them down a path that either won't be successful because of, you know, Less than half the people that start college actually get all the way to degree right now. Um, so we need to be careful there as well. And I'm not saying you don't need an education. Everybody, mm -hmm. I think, needs an education. But how you get that education doesn't have to be college. There's more ways to do it. And we're starting to realize that finally now. In the past, it was just send everybody to college. Um, 
then of course it overwhelmed the system and then the system got more expensive and it got more complicated. And so now I think that's the challenge with m many parents is, you know, what path are my kids on? Are they likely to go to college? And a lot of college educated, you know, parents are saying they're going to college no matter what they have to go. Right. That's the rule. Okay. If, you know, if that's a good fit, then you can get away with it. But if you're going to force something like that on where it's not a good fit, you know, in the end, I don't think it's going to turn out well. Um, I also so encourage my, like for me, I know me when I stop school, I'm not probably going to go back. So for me, if I wanted a degree, I need to just keep going because mm -hmm. if you make, if you stop, you probably won't go back where it'll be very much more difficult to. Right. And right. And I think there's in some ways it's, it's, you know, I've had parents tell me, well, it's really unfair to kids today. And I agree. It is a little bit unfair in that at 17, you're supposed to understand exactly what you want to be when you grow up and you got to figure it all out and kind of commit to a path. And I think that's hard. I mean, when I was in college, it wasn't unusual to run into somebody that had, you know, this is my sixth year. I should maybe graduate in seven. I changed my major four times. I took a year off. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I bounced around a little bit which is fine back then because college wasn't so crazy expensive, but to pay for an extra two years of college now, just because you can't figure it out. I mean, that's a steep penalty that a lot of families, you know, rightly so would like to avoid. And, uh, but that puts that extra layer of pressure on, well, you got to figure it out. You got to do it right the first time. And the reality of it is if you actually talk to people, you know, I have an engineering degree and I haven't practiced engineering for 20 years or mm -hmm. longer now. Um, so lots of people have that hard left turn in their career where, and there's no way to know what's coming. And I don't regret my path. And most people don't because they needed to learn what they needed to learn in order to get where they were. But right. that's the reality, right? Is someone that says, well, I'm committing to be a physical therapist for the rest of my life, or I'm going to go on and be a police officer for the rest of my life based on this path I picked when I was 17. You know, maybe that's realistic and many people it is, but for many people it's not. And I think understanding how that all fits in and then factoring in, well, how are we going to pay for all this and how, what's the parent's responsibility um, that gets more complicated as well. Is that more philosophy than anything? Because like my parents told me four years, you get four years, we'll pay for it or figure out a way to pay for it. Anything over that. So of course I go in, I was going to go play college ball out there, ended up getting injured. So that whole thing out the door two weeks, three weeks in. And so I ended up, I think I was a psychology major. I think originally planned it. And then I had back surgery and started getting in more of anatomy is like, well, maybe I want to be a physical therapist found out that I would have to either figure out a way to take more credits or I, and I also thought about transferring schools because maybe come back home because the whole reason why I was there was to play the right. So there's all those things, but it's like, I'm not going to change my major and transfer because then I lose credits and then I got to take more time at school and then I have to pay for it. So I made my decisions based off of what's the best way. And I ended up getting a kinesiology degree, exercise science major, bachelor of science, Got out of school two weeks later, not even two weeks later. I think two days later, I started a job in sales, like inside sales, like entering orders. And that was it. I was still working at like a gym and, and training athletes, which was so fun, but doesn't pay. 
And I was like, there's no, like the only way you're going to make money is if you own your own place. And that was just not in a desire of mine. So later on, what fast forward 15 years later, I started doing like a virtual health and wellness sales, like being mm-hmm. coached. So I was able to actually utilize my degree. And I was like, all right. And it was I'm making some money off of it. But I'm I, my background when people ask me what my experience is, it's sales and marketing because I've been right. doing it forever. And that's what I'm trained in. And that's what I know. And if I ever were to go apply for another job, I'd sales and marketing. I wouldn't be going, I have a kinesiology degree and I'm a certified personal trainer. So I, I don't think I'd dive back into it. I can utilize that in my personal life, but um, right. it's hard to make those decisions when you're 18, 19 years old. And then you have right. the factors of who's paying for what and how you're going to pay for it later. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So again, as an example, you know, I work a lot with parents with kids in high school that are really, you know, they're really there. They're in what I would call the late stage, going back to, you know, the initial original d- discussion. There's a late stage is you have kids in high school and you really are trying to figure it all out. And if you did a great job on the early stages and you saved a big pile of money, you still have to do late stage planning because, you you know, you want to use it efficiently and you still have to figure out what schools are the right fit and test scores and applications for financial aid, applications for admission, and how do you choose a school and a major and all kinds of stuff that, you know, as part of the process that, you know, I'm coaching people through day in and day out. And what comes up a lot, I think, is, well, we didn't save, but maybe we should have, or we didn't save enough. We didn't know how much it was going to cost. But if you had a 17 year old today and if you saved a couple hundred dollars a month from the time they were born until college started you have a pretty sizable nest egg and that might cover about a third of a state school and then maybe you can cover another third out of you know cash flow again for most parents your income is still climbing when you have kids in college you're approaching your peak earning perhaps but you're still getting promotions and raises in, in a lot of cases where it's like, oh, I'm making $15,000 a year more this year. So I mm-hmm. guess I can't afford to put 800 a month towards college now. Right. If that's my priority um, because I got a raise or whatever it might be. So, you know, saving that couple hundred dollars a month might be the goal. And maybe it needs to be 250 now, depending on how much inflation you want to factor in or whatever it might be. But the reality of it is when we had very young kids, you know, when I had three kids under four and my daycare bill was crazy. Yeah. And that's it. That was a long time ago. And today it's even crazier, right? So yeah. That's probably. the reality of well, we can't afford to pay for college save for college right now. We're 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 barely getting by and covering daycare. But when daycare is over, man, well, we have a lot of extra money. And the kids will be cheaper then. It's like, no, they won't. They won't. Especially now with all the <laughs> they won't. Yeah. all the things. No. Exactly. Food. You heard it here first, right? It, they bigger. don't get cheaper. Always, um, get, always eat yeah, house and home, like grocery bill. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the reality of it is you do what you can. And if you do need to delay saving for college, well, then you need to save a, a bigger number. Um, and again, sometimes that's appropriate. And then sometimes it's, you know, one of the parents going back to work full time or, you know, maybe it's a, partnership with the family, whatever it might be, side hustles where you start a family business, or, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that this can be done. It's just a matter of being aware that it's 
something that's coming up in the future. Um, But it's not unusual for me to say, well, based on the 75,000 you have saved for college and two kids, you know, we need another thousand a month to make this work or another 1500 a month to make this work. And Mm -hmm. some parents like, oh, great, let's do it. And other parents like, oh my God, we don't have 1500 a month to make this work. Things are that tight. And that boils down to decisions that you made when you bought your house, right? We decided to push it right to the limit and we bought the, or wherever we live is crazy expensive. So we had no choice but to push it to the limit and uh, whatever it might be. And that, or the decisions on, well, how many cars you drive and how often you buy a new one or the family vacations, or are we really going to sign them up for club soccer at $4,000 a year? Plus all those hidden fees of equipment and, oh, we're going to go stay in hotels when they go to competitions. And and you start adding that all up and you say, okay, well, it was a decision we made and it could have been, you know, all that cash flow could have been sent to college. You know, what was a better choice? Hopes and dreams of getting a soccer scholarship. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. Exactly. And, always, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think there's all that that's going on. And and then that's the reality. And college may change. You know, if you had a two-year-old right now, will college look the same 16 years from now so as it does? Right. So I don't hard. know for sure. I mean, it's been been very slow to change so far. COVID did cause some accelerated change in education, just like it did cause accelerated change in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's always going to be that faction that you know, that four-year degree on a residential campus is going to be out there. But at some point, I think alternative paths might be become more prevalent where, okay, well, I can, you know, live at home or I can live with an apartment with some friends and do online school. You know, I don't have to live at home, but I need to mix and match and do something differently than just the four-year residential campus. So I have a, I have a question and I don't want to get into the nitty gritty and things of like financial options and, and accounts and savings. Cause gosh, there's so many like right. crazy back when I was going to school, I know it was very popular and I, I'm not sure if it is now. Cause I know my brother-in-law was looking at it for their little ones and they're, they're younger than mine. Um, and they started something, some sort of maybe a CD or I don't, they called it something. Maybe it was a 529, but, um, most of the time it was like the state college fund, right? Like they've got one for the state, like Texas, mm-hmm. you have to use it towards a public school. Um, and I believe it's good for any of those, right? I don't know much about those. We, I don't believe my parents ever did those. I ended up obviously going to a private school out of state. My sister went to a private school in state. They already said, like, if we had to go back and do it again, you would be going somewhere completely different because we we, we owe a lot. Right. And just trying to like get by with all the inflation and whatever. So my question about those like state ones, if you put all your money in there or whatever, do you, if they decide they don't want to go or they don't go to a Texas school, do you get that money back or is it lost? I I've heard conflicting things. I think obviously it depends on state. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in a state compliance, I'm in compliance, corporate compliance. So I get it. Every state's different. Check right. with your exactly yeah. Okay. So what you're talking Stay about nowhere. is the, right. 
it's the broad category of 529 plans. So college savings plans, the way the 529 stands for the area of the IRS code that they're using to create all the benefits for 529s as far as taxes are concerned. And that's the big benefit when you're saving for colleges. You can do it and save some taxes sometimes. Um, so that's the benefit. The downside is you may have to pay taxes and penalties if you don't do it properly. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, so there's two kinds of 529 plans out there. There's the ones that look kind of like your 401k where you put money and you, you know, you've got a menu of investment choices. You contribute monthly or annually or however you want. And then when the money goes in, you choose from the investment menu and you can have an aggressive account or conservative account of you know, something that's a bank account and all everywhere between, but you have that limited list and whatever the investments do, that's what you get, right? So if you invest aggressively and it does well, great. If you invest aggressively and it goes down, well, that's what you get. There's also what's called prepaid plans, which is, and not all states offer these and some of the states have gotten themselves in trouble with them. So I generally don't recommend them, but they do exist um, where you essentially prepay, you know, I'm going to put this, you know, you, you go to their website, you look it up and they say, well, if you give us $8,000 right now, then you'll have tuition at our state school when you're seven, you know, when your seven-year-old is 18. So whatever the tuition is at the time, it's covered for one year because you gave us, you know, this $8,000 right now. Now, if your student doesn't go to college or doesn't go to a state college, then they've got some outs in there. It might be where if it doesn't, if you don't go, then they'll give you the average tuition of all the state schools. Oh. And they'll just give you a check back and say, well, since you're not, or something like that. And then maybe there's a little bit of a, a penalty because you're not using the in-state system, or maybe there's not. It just depends on, but the challenge is you really have to understand those and read them well, because it's, you know, like a 401k, right? Most people have seen them and understand them and there's not a huge difference between one company's and the next. Whereas with a prepaid plan, you know, especially each state does it and they could be drastically different. Right. Um, there's been a lot of issues in Illinois, as an example, where the state budgets, you know, there's a lot of shortfalls. They, they put this money in a trust in order wow. for it to be available. And it turns out there wasn't enough money in the trust to, so, to make everybody whole. So now the state itself is on the hook to, to bail these people out. And so then they drastically changed the plan because they didn't want to keep making, you know, keep making it worse. And, you know, so that kind of stuff happens. And then other situations that worked out really well, you know, I've seen people, you know, where they have used the prepaid plan and it turned out well, but I've seen a lot of disasters too. So I would, I would tend to shy away from them unless you know, it really is a good fit. Yeah. From a, you know, I know my kids like the state schools. I know we're going to be in the state, right? Family moves out of state and all of a sudden, right. right you're no longer a resident of the state and now you don't get the in-state tuition but you've got a prepaid plan in that state and it just, so it can get very challenging. It's hard to plan these things because we don't have crystal balls. And so it's like, I don't know if my kids wants to go to college. I don't know what, what they're going to do. So I don't, I don't want to, that's why I shy away from them because I don't want to commit my kid now and be like, well, sorry, this is your option. And that's that because I don't think that that's the right thing to do as a parent, but 
I understand that you also want to like have money set aside. It's like a set and forget type of system instead of like saving as you go. Correct. Um, exactly. And I think realistically, when you have young kids, you there's things you can do where you can just stay flexible, right? I mean, you can have a goal of saving up $50,000 for college in the next five years, let's say. So 10,000 a year, but not necessarily dedicated into a college account per se, and just put it into some sort of investment and say, we could use it for college, but it's not committed to college yet. And then as the kids get older and you say, okay, well, I've got a couple of academics here that are pretty obviously going to college. Well, then you can commit it to college when they're eight or 10 and they're still getting all A's and they love school and versus, you know, what other, other changes where you might say, no, maybe, you know, we'll keep it the way it is. So you can build some flexibility into it. You know, 529s are good. They have their downside. They're not right for everyone. There's penalties and interest that you may have to pay if it, you don't use it for college, but you can also change beneficiaries. So if you had three kids, you could shift the money that's set aside for one kid to the other kids. Right. Um, so again, and then when we get to the late stage where I'm, you know, that's where I spend a lot of time. It's pretty clear. We've got a freshman in high school that's starting to visit college, right? Or starting to think about it. And they they want to, you know, get that physics degree and go study the stars or whatever. And they're on that path. So we know college is coming. Now we can kick it into high gear and shift things around. But at the younger ages, you know, again, maybe you just, focus on keeping your debt load down or, you know, paying that, you know, paying off the cars and everything else so that when you get closer, you can say, you know, we're, we're in a good spot financially. We do have 2000 a month. Yeah. And it looks like college is real. So now we're going to put that 2000 a month into college. Um, Are there places have some that flexibility? Right. Exactly. Um, it, it's, it's almost like planning ahead just in case. It's just like being prepared. And if they don't, it's like, great, we have extra money. Way. Or then you right. can gift it to them and they can get an apartment, whatever. I mean, you can move it around if you keep control of it. Um, is there any specific places if people are looking at where they should allocate the money that they're earning and putting it towards pieces of college? Are there are there ones that you would recommend more so than the other when it comes to um, avail? And it was all school and state, but um, where you're most likely to see aid from schools where you won't have to worry about this because traditionally you can apply and they might give you aid or scholarship. Like I had a Dean scholarship. So we put it towards my room and board, I think is where they allocated my money for that. Um, all probably because the loans were set up their ways, but do you have any recommendations there? Yeah. I mean, so if I understand the question correctly, we're kind of getting into the merit aid and the need-based aid system, right? So as I mentioned, the average state school now offers about $8,000 off. Now it's more for the low-income families than it is for the high-income families, typically because they show a higher need, so they get more of the need-based aid. But there is some money off at the average state school. Usually it's you know, for some, it's just a token award of $1,000, let's say. For others, it could be, you know, ten or 15000 of aid because you have a high need. When we get to the private schools, you know, Harvard is 85000 a year. But they're also crazy generous. So if 
your family is in the lower, you know, earns $100,000 or less, there's a good chance Harvard would almost be free. And um, certainly at Stanford, they've actually had that press release. They say, if your income's under 100,000, zero tuition, zero room and board. If your income's under 150,000, then it will be zero tuition, but you may still pay for room and board or a portion of room and board. Um, so they're very generous. Now, the challenge, of course, is your students got to get accepted to Stanford or Harvard, right. which gotta is nearly thinking. impossible, right? They've got to be an academic rock star to make that happen. Not a legacy, if, all those other things. <laughs> right. But I have a lot of people say, we, we can't apply to these schools because they're crazy expensive. And it's like, well, that's their list price. That's not their actual price, depending on, again, need-based aid or merit aid. You know, by that same token, I've had some families that can't afford to pay for college apply to Harvard or Stanford and then get angry because their student got a huge scholarship at, you know, some private school, but Harvard didn't give them any scholarship at all. And it's like, okay, well, Harvard was never going to give you a scholarship based on merit. They don't do that. The fact that they accepted you is all that you can possibly expect if your income, and again, it has to be very high income to get zero scholarship. But if your income is, you know, half million or more, there's a chance you don't get any scholarships at Harvard. And you know that going in, I mean, you can figure it out pretty easily. And the kid that's a rock star and can get into Harvard can qualify for scholarships at other schools, for sure. Because there's lots of schools where if you have, you know, mostly A's and strong test scores, they'll give you 25, 35, $45,000 scholarships. And as you mentioned, you know, there's some colleges out there that have those full rides, right? They've got seven, you know, presidential scholarships each year that they give to, and it covers all of tuition. And yeah. 50 or 100 people will apply, seven will win. But if you can be one of those kids, well, that's a drastically different price. Mm -hmm. Um but that, you know, that that's a school where your student is now one or two cuts above. And a lot of families say, well, you know, again, a great example would be, you know, my kid can get into Notre Dame, but just barely. They're not going to give you a lot of aid and it's going to be very expensive. Well, the kid that's that strong could go to the, you know, the private school in the local town that they're in that's not very competitive and be that presidential scholar. But they don't want to go there because they've worked so hard all their life and the parents have seen them work so hard. Their dream is Notre Dame. So how do you balance that? You know, and again, some families are going to make it happen because they can't afford to. Some families perhaps shouldn't make it happen and they're going to do it anyway and regret it. And then some families are just going to say, we just can't do it. We're not going to. Um, but it's understanding that, you know, how that all fits in. I, you know, I tell people college planning is retirement planning, whether you realize it or not, because if you, you know, drive yourself into crazy debt or you spend all your resources on college, it's going to be that much harder to retire. Right. Um, on the it's flip side, you know, I also say, you know, if you're giving up the lake home in order to pay crazy amounts for college, or you're giving up the exotic vacations in order to pay a lot of money for college, fine. I mean, it's your money. You can spend it how you want. There's nothing wrong with spending it on college or a Gucci bag or a fast car or a great vacation around the world. That's why a lot of us work hard. So we have those options. Right. Um, my caution is when people 
don't really understand what they're getting into and paint themselves into a corner and then realize a little bit too late that, oh, all these loans need to be paid back and I didn't even graduate. That's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that's a whole another episode, I'm sure, because this like debt relief and all the things like we've I've always looked at that, too, because just the amount of loans I had. And it's like you have to make a certain amount of money. And I always just made too much because the threshold is not very high. So right. it's like it's a, almost impossible to get anything and everything like dismissed or there's I mean, the challenges is, is like, do you have to pay them back if they relieve you? It's uh, it's gross <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's gross if you can pay it cash awesome i mean that's with anything um would you would it be safe to say when your child goes into like freshman of high school is a good time to at least start thinking about it if you weren't there yet and you didn't mm. have a clear path or wait a little longer i mean i know you said sooner the better is always good depending on your budget where you are but i guess right you know, yeah. Right. So, right. Exactly. So early stage planning is really, you know, if you're obviously if you're married, talking with your spouse and just coming up with, well, what is our philosophy? Because a lot of times just getting that hammered out because, well, my parents paid for everything and that's what I want to do. And the other spouse might say, you know, I worked hard and paid it all, my, paid it all myself and that's what I want to do. OK, well, how are we going to agree on that? Right. And so and doing some of the saving and investing and, and stuff we've already talked about. Um, but once you get to late stage planning, now we have some deadlines and we have a, a process that we need to go through. Um, and we want to do it in our orderly fashion where we can. The challenge, I think, is all the deadlines are in the senior year, you know, official deadlines, right? So colleges say you must apply by October 1st of your senior year or November 1st or February 1st of your senior year. Financial aid is due in the fall of your senior year. And then we're going to give you offers and show you what it's going to cost sometime in the middle of the year. And then May 1st is when you make a decision. You know, May 1st of your senior year, you decide where you want to go. Those are the true deadlines. Right. But to be ready for those deadlines, we really need to work hard. In my opinion, our freshman, sophomore, and junior year in some degree, right? So for some families, you really need to take advantage of freshman year um, if you've got complications. So there's the things that everybody has to do, right? So there's the things that students have to do. What do I want to be when I grow up? I've got to apply to colleges. I'm going to have to write essays, maybe. I'm going to have to fill out forms. I'm going to have to, and I got to do my high school curriculum and all that stuff so that I look like the kind of student that can get accepted at the schools that I want to apply to. Or I have to change my school list so that I can get, you know, whatever, doing all that stuff. It's their grades are their responsibility, hopefully, and that type of thing. And there's the stuff that the parents need to do. Are we going to qualify for need-based aid and merit aid? Are we, you know, what is our savings plan? Did we do early stage savings so we've got some money or do we have to, you know, make up for that? All that stuff. And then there's the things that you do together. Visit schools, decide, you know, how often you're going to take the SAT or ACT and get signed up for all that stuff. And are you going to do test prep in between? And, and of course, the parents need to get involved and supervise the essays and what do you want to be when you grow up and that kind of stuff. But in the end, I don't think they can pick a career path for their student. Or at least they shouldn't, in my opinion, mm -hmm. but they have to support the student through the process, whatever that might be. 
Yeah. So that's in general. Things get more complicated. You know, that's what everybody has to do. But then you, in addition, it can get more complicated with, you know, divorce and blended families because now there's financial aid could be different. There's family politics that comes along, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It gets more complicated if you own businesses or have side hustles where you can maybe pay for college more efficiently, but it's opportunities to, well, to understand tuition reimbursement plans for businesses and and additional opportunities. Um, gets complicated where there's inheritances. A lot mm -hmm. of times you inherit an IRA, let's say, and you have to take that money out of the IRA and is in a timely manner or you pay a bunch of penalties. But if you take it out, it shows up on your taxes. That's your taxes show up on financial aid. Yep. And it's, a, you know, so it's a planning opportunity of, well, when should we take it out? You know, if college is still a few years away, maybe we should get it all out now. If we're in the middle of college, maybe we should delay it to the other end. Um, so those are the types of things that, you know, and there's other areas that make it more complicated. If you have a high, you know, a student that wants to look at colleges all over the country, or if they're, you know, a very strong academic student that has a shot at all kinds of scholarships. Well, then you got to learn the scholarship system. Yeah. Uh, versus if you have just looking at the local state school, you know, it could be a little, a little different. So start thinking about and analyzing all that freshman and sophomore year so that you're ahead of the game. Right. You know, you, you, maybe you can't visit a college with your freshman. Maybe they're not mature enough. It's not appropriate, but maybe you could, um, instead of visiting, you could just go online and look at the college and look at what it costs and figure out if you would qualify for need-based aid and merit-based aid at the local state school in your state and add a couple of the private schools that might be on your list if you, you know, just to get some practice in and understand it. Yeah. And maybe you won't visit for another couple of years. Um, but sophomore year for the right kids is a good time to start visiting um, as an example. And financial aid is based on the tax year that starts the middle of your sophomore year and ends the middle of your junior year. So that's the taxes you're going to submit. So freshman year is the time for you to decide what can we do to make sure that that tax year is the best it can be so we can qualify for aid. Mm -hmm. um, because as an example, there's a new, they just revamped all of how financial aid works. But I was working with a family, family of four kids. And if their AGI was below $70,000, approximately, I don't remember the exact number, it was about 70. And I can, you know, there's a table, you can look it up. Um, then they automatically would qualify for the maximum Pell Grant and everything else. Well, if you knew your AGI had to be below 70,000, and you can affect that by how much you put in your HSA and how much you put into retirement, right? If you're on track to have 71,000 and you're supposed to be under 70, well, you could put a little more in your retirement and it could make a big difference in your financial aid. But people don't know that that rule exists. And by the time you actually do the college process at the end of your senior year, you're gonna mm -hmm. say, oh, I didn't know that that tax form from two years ago was that important. And had I known, <laughs> I would have done better. Um, so there's those types of things that, and that's why it gets, you know, getting very complicated every time they add a, a benefit, mm -hmm. you know, here's a problem for this group of families. So we're going to add this benefit. Well, it just got more complicated. So now as a family, you got to understand the benefit, you know, which of these 
systems apply to me and which of these systems can I take advantage of? Okay. And it's a lot of work. And that's where you come in. That's where you come exactly. in, right? Right. So well, either find someone to help you or, you know, I tell people it's not rocket science. Most people can figure it out. But the reality of it is most people probably shouldn't bother figuring it out because you only have two kids and three kids or whatever it is. And by the time you learn all this stuff, you could have figured out how to market your business better, which would give you benefits for the rest of your life. Instead of together, because by the time if you're still figuring it out, you're still going to have to figure out the one that's next year. And, you know, right. yeah, it's exactly. Great. So sometimes it just makes sense, just like everything else to outsource this. And there's, you know, there's financial experts like myself that work with parents on how to pay for college. There's experts out there that can help your students with essays or what do they want to be when they grow up or test prep, you know, if they want to try and do better on the tests. Yep. Um, I had an episode on that. I had someone on that, that did specific SAT and big, big test right. prep because that's a big thing, you yeah, know, you know, and they'll coach students and they've got, you know, ADHD experts and all kinds of, and I think the challenge is knowing that they exist and then finding the one that's a good fit. Mm -hmm. And then of course, there's no easy way to verify that what they offer is going to make a difference for your situation. And you got to spend that time finding them and vetting them and, and figuring out if it's worth, you know, what you're going to pay for it and that type of thing. And I think that's one of the challenges as well you know, myself on the financial side, it's pretty clear, right? You do it this way, it'll cost you this much. If you do it that way, it'll cost you that much. And that's less and it'll save you what I cost. And then some, so it just, you know, it's easy. Right. If someone's going to help your student write an essay, it's like, well, most of the time they, it's not very ethical for them to guarantee your student will get accepted somewhere. Yeah. So will it be a better essay? Probably. Will it be good enough? There's no way to know for sure. But I think in a lot of cases, it's not so much that you're trying to make things better it's you're trying to keep the peace, right? It's a very stressful time right. where, okay, if I hire an outside expert, that's going to nag my student. So I don't have to, uh, that, you know, that's worth the money all by itself. Right. Uh, and that's, and that's a reality and you're not there yet. Your kids are a little bit young yet, but when your kids get to be teenagers, they start pushing for their, you know, their autonomy and all of a sudden what mom and dad say just doesn't matter. Right. But if somebody else says the exact same thing, then, you know, then it's useful. So you I think, <laughs> you know, some of these experts, you know, that's their benefit, right? They're just not mom and dad. They don't know any more than mom and dad necessarily. Mom and dad could do the, you know, I have that with my own kids, right? I'm I have a good understanding of how college works, but it's really hard to talk about college with my kids, even even now because um because of that dynamic of dad. Know, they don't want to hear it from dad right right well if our um listeners found something in here that they truly are interested in or want help or they need to seek some coaching from you where can we find you how do we we follow you and um please give us those details right so everything i have is at my website tamingthehighcostofcollege.com and I also have a podcast by that name. Um, so you can find me wherever you get podcasts. But we have a free email newsletter. We've got cost of colleges by state. So we've got some free downloads that are very helpful, whether you're just starting out. There's a, a need-based aid calculator that you can plug stuff into. 
Um, the FAFSA system is changing dramatically. So we've got late breaking news kind of stuff. As we learn more, we're putting it out in our newsletter that um, <laughs> it's, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's a work in progress still. It, they've already told us it's going to be delayed this year. So it's not going to be available in October like it normally is. It's probably going to be December. We haven't really seen what it's going to look like yet. Um, they're starting to share it with the colleges a little bit and hopefully that it'll go public soon and where we can, you know, learn. And especially those that in the, in the industry where like, we're kind of flying blind right now. Um, so all that's coming and all that will be available on my website. There's also, you know, tools where you can put in your academics and your financial situation. It's called the free money report. It'll estimate the cost of a couple of colleges based on your need-based profile and your merit profile and kind of give you an idea of, oh, this school might be 10 or 20 or 30,000 off because of this or that. Um, so there's all kinds of resources available. And okay. phone number right there on the website. If you want to reach out and give us a call, you can do that as well. Awesome. Well, it'll all be in the show notes for everyone and um, to make sure that you guys get everything that you would need, take a look, check check him out and and see if you need any help, I mean, hey, I might be knocking on your door in a couple of years because I've got that fourth grader. So we're not there yet, but he's already, you know, he'll probably be a college kid. He loves school. Um, but I really um, appreciate you being here and sharing your knowledge. And we were kind of all over the place. So I appreciate you keeping up with all of my questions and um, hope to have you back. Yeah, I'd love to be back. Awesome. And thank you uh, for listening to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. This is the first one we've talked about college and, and finances. So please go check this one out and, and others about like SATs, ACTs, and ways that you can prep your kids for, for testing as well. It goes hand in hand. And um, we'll catch you on another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies. Disclosures. The information provided to you today is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be specific recommendations or advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before acting on any of this material. Investing involves risk. Depending on the types of investments, there may be varying degrees of risk. Investors should be prepared to bear loss, including total loss of principal. 529 College Savings Plan Disclosures Investors should carefully consider investment objectives, risk, charges, and expenses. This information and other important information are contained in the Fund Prospectuses, Summary Prospectuses, and the 529 product program description. These documents can be obtained from a financial professional or directly from the plan's website. Please read them carefully before investing. Depending on your state of residence, there may be an in-state plan that offers tax and other benefits, which may include financial aid, scholarship funds, and protection from creditors. Before investing in any state's 529 plan, investors should consult a tax professional. If withdrawals from 529 plans are used for purposes other than qualified education, the withdrawal could be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty, state penalties, federal income tax, and state income tax. Brad Baldridge's Disclosures 
Brad Baldridge is a registered representative with Cambridge Investment Research. Securities are offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Incorporated, a broker-dealer, and member of FINRA and SIPC. Brad Baldridge is also an investment advisor representative with Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Baldridge Wealth Management and Baldridge College Solutions are affiliated. Cambridge and the Baldridge Companies are not affiliated. The registered branch location is at 10521 West Layton Avenue, Suite 200, Greenfield, Wisconsin, 53228.